Well, howdy and good morning. My name is Pastor James, and I'm so excited to be here with you this morning as we continue in our series in Philippians, Joy Unshackled. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, And we're in week two of this series, Joy Unshackled, which is all about how in life we can find ourselves shackling or tying our joy to the wrong things. And when we do that, we're going to be continually disappointed. But God gives us an answer to unshackle our joy, and that's where he meets us in this text. Now, if you know us, you know that we love questions here at Wells Branch Community Church, that we love to answer your questions. So there's this number that you can text us on, and it will be available for you in our chat box as well. So you can go ahead and click that. If you want to send us a question, we would love to answer it for you. And as, as you do that, uh, as you're turning in your Bibles and as you're uh, getting ready to text us some questions, um, I want to tell you that I am not perfect at having my joy unshackled. Uh, there are times where my joy is found in the wrong places and I find myself turning and just churning and trying my best to find my joy, to find excitement in this thing that's right in front of me, but it never works. And it's always empty. And uh, an, an example of that, a fairly recent example of that was uh, this past December. And uh, in this past December, I had this Hebrew paper that was due. And um, Hebrew, if you know me, is uh, I've probably talked about how uh, it's like initiation in seminary. It's really challenging. It's really difficult. And like the, it goes the wrong direction. And the vowels aren't even like real letters. They're just little marks underneath. And, and so I've, I've struggled my way through Hebrew. And praise God, I finished it in May. But... This past December, I had this paper that was due. And so I turned it in, and I had addressed, I had written this beautiful uh, paper. It was great, flowing, literate work. But when I got my feedback on the paper, I got this response that uh, I had addressed the first half of the prompt and not the second half. And so I got a zero on that paper, and I was devastated. And so uh, as soon as I got that feedback, 37 minutes later, I had written three more beautiful flowing pages and turned it back in. And my prof told me, hey, I usually don't do this, but I'll, I'll actually regrade this for you. Uh, but I am going to apply the late penalty. And because she had given me feedback five days later than when it was originally due, and then applied the five days late penalty, I ended up getting a 50 on that assignment. And what crushed me about that was that my identity was tied to my success in Hebrew. As if somebody was going to come up to me and say, you know, James, um, how'd you do in Hebrew back when you were in seminary? I, I don't think I can go to church here. And, and no, nobody would do that. And if they did, I would say, okay, I don't want you here, so see ya. Um, but nobody would do that. But I was believing the lie that how pleased God was with me was in my performance. And I know that I'm not alone in that, that, that you, we can believe the lie that God shows his pleasure in us when we succeed and when we perform and we do really well. But that is just that, it's a lie. And, and I knew that I was going to have to sacrifice some comfort later on, right? That, that later on I was going to have to work even harder on my second paper that I would have to do and had zero motivation at that point to do just to pass or just to get a decent grade and salvage my GPA, and so for many of us, we have this thing, uh, we have this shackled joy that is very easily shaken. And we don't rejoice in our suffering because our joy is shackled to our success. We don't rejoice in suffering. We don't rejoice in suffering because our joy is shackled to our success. 
And we need to rejoice in suffering because there's this opportunity for us to make God look as big and beautiful as he is. And there's this opportunity for us to really show off how beautiful and amazing our God is. But we find ourselves shackling our joy to the wrong place in our success instead. And, and maybe, maybe you just have this feeling of, I want to win. I want to be the best. I, and we're bad losers. So if, if I can't win, I can't care. Uh, doing things where I don't keep score aren't really things that I do. If I can't win, I, I can't care. And uh, maybe you're like me with this paper where when your success is stolen, your joy is stolen right there with it. And, and I know that COVID-19 has stolen job opportunities from us. It's stolen peace from us. It's stolen success in relationships from us because all of a sudden when people don't go anywhere, they become a little bit less pleasant to be around. And that kind of gets us into this next thing of we can fail to rejoice in our suffering when our joy is shackled to our comfort. We want the easy life. We want to relax. We want balance, whatever that is. We're so uh, aware emotionally that things happen and they, they stir in us and we just get taken off the rails where we're just spinning and spinning and spinning and it's, it's not healthy. And so... Uh, like me with this paper, if, if you saw me within a week of that happening, I probably told you about this injustice that happened to me and how terrible it was. And that sounds so silly now at this point because I'm past it, because I, I've gotten the grade, because I've seen how the end result is. But in that moment, I knew that I'd lost my success, and in that moment, I knew that I was going to lose a lot of comfort. And so for a lot of us, uh, COVID-19 has stolen security, it's stolen uh, it's put us in these close quarters with people. There are roommate interventions happening left and right. There are uh, families that are needing uh, intervention and counseling like crazy. And so we need a hope that is secure beyond that. I'm grateful that God meets us where we are, that God loves us where we are, and that he gives us a hope that we can rejoice in our suffering, that we can rejoice when we face difficulties of many kinds, and that he gives us a way that we can actually have joy when life punches us in the face. He gives us a way that we can have joy when our success has been robbed from us. He gives us a way that we can have joy when our comfort has been robbed from us. And we're going to see that explained to us from Paul. And Paul had a successful ministry. He's, he's a successful gospel preacher, but all of a sudden, he finds himself locked up, confined in house arrest in Rome. He's literally chained to a guard who has to go everywhere with him as he's on house arrest. And so all of his freedom, all of his comfort, all of his success has been stolen away from him. But somehow, he's still rejoicing in his suffering. So that's where we start in Philippians Chapter 1, verse 12, and it says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, what's crazy here, what what's just blows my mind is that he's in prison. And his, his words here are, it is really served to advance the gospel. 
He's got this perspective that he values gospel advance over his own personal circumstance. He values gospel advance over his own circumstance. This is the kind of perspective that I want. And he says that the whole imperial guard, so all these guys that keep running into Paul, they keep getting chained to Paul. He's like, hey, you're chained to me? Guess what? I've got some great news I'm going to share with you. And so he's sharing this hope that he has with them time and time again. And they're, they're telling each other, hey, you got to go check out this Paul guy. He's crazy. He's got all of this uh, stuff that he is telling me. And man, it's actually kind of crazy. So this gospel is spreading. It's becoming known throughout the whole imperial garden to all the rest that Paul's imprisonment is for Christ. He's, he's hurting, but he's not complaining. He's in prison, but he's rejoicing. This, is, this should blow your mind. How can I have this kind of peace? How can I have this kind of rejoicing? And he says, having become much more confident in the Lord, the brothers uh, by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He's celebrating the mobilized gospel workers, that this suffering has mobilized people to go and share their faith, that this suffering has mobilized people to go and share the good news of the gospel because they're more bold. Even seeing Paul in chains, they say, you know what? That's a cause I can get behind. Sign me up. I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to share the gospel more. And it's not just them, right? So in verse 15, he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. <clears throat> There's this envy and rivalry. These are the bad guys, right, that uh, think like prosperity preachers. They're wanting to hit number one on the TV ratings. They're, they're just wanting to take his spot as number one gospel preacher guy. And they're saying, I'm going to come in. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to show that, Paul. And, and they're not doing it out of love. They're doing it from envy and rivalry. There's some selfish ambition in there. But there are others who have this goodwill. They're doing it out of love. They know that he's been put there for the defense of the gospel. These are Paul's buddies. These are guys who really get the gospel. They've been transformed by the hope of Jesus Christ, and they just want to share it with others. And that love is the reason that they're sharing it time and time again, this love and this purity. But we don't see Paul just tearing these guys down. He warns the Philippians that they're not doing it the right way because they're doing it out of selfish ambition. But he's not tearing them down. He's rejoicing in it because for Paul... Jesus being proclaimed is greater than Paul's personal fame. Jesus being proclaimed is greater than Paul's personal fame. He wants the name of Jesus to move forward. He's not worried about his own name. And he sees that actually with him being in these chains, with him being locked up, the gospel isn't bound. The gospel is advancing and he's celebrating that. And so we see this, that Paul didn't complain, but he rejoiced in Christ being proclaimed. These terrible circumstances hit Paul, but they don't mean anything to him when the gospel advances. Ter terrible circumstances are nothing when the gospel advances, right? So we celebrate when things that are crazy like coronavirus present these gospel opportunities for people to finally hear and consider the message of Christ. And we see people coming to faith we see lives transformed as people are taken out of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of eternal light. 
And so what if that was us? What if instead of complaining, we proclaim? We look for this gospel opportunity within our suffering. We look for this gospel opportunity within our struggles. And we say, how can I really enjoy what God is doing? How can I really lean into what God is doing and find where there's peace? Find where there's hope. Find what I can rejoice in. And sometimes that's hard because there's so many feelings there and there's so much uh, that we have to process through with that, right? Just like this morning where, where Pastor Chris and Pastor Joseph were here and, and we're praying and we are acknowledging that what is happening in the world is not right, that we are praying and calling for God to bring reconciliation. We don't have the answers. We don't see the hope, but we need your help, Lord, to see this hope that is secure in you. And we want you to be the one who unites us. We want you to be the one who gives us your peace. And so I don't want anyone to hear me saying that I'm invalidating your feelings. Uh, we, we should feel, we should lament, we should grieve, but ultimately the Lord desires to bring us to a better place and we have to let him do that. We have to let him lead us into a place of love and light and trust in him. And this Romanian pastor said it really well. He said, Christians are like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. And that should be us, that as we get hit with life, we go deeper in Christ. And I want to share a story of somebody who did this really well, uh, and that is I'm going to show a, sto a story of somebody who did that really well, and that is Stephen and Amanda Hoyer. And if you look at Stephen and Amanda Hoyer's life, uh, they, they are just incredible individuals who love and serve and worship their God. And I lo I've loved getting to know Stephen and Amanda uh, and getting to um, worship with them here at Wells Branch Community Church. They're about to be um, brought in as members, about to be presented as members uh, very soon. And um, they moved to Austin from the Dallas area. And when they moved to Austin from the Dallas area, they were, they were very excited about this opportunity, right? That Stephen was going to get to open this restaurant, Honest Mary's, and he's going to get to be a manager. Not just a manager, but a disciple maker. That he was going to get to really create this culture of Christ-like service in having this restaurant of Honest Mary's. And so he worked his tail off to open this restaurant. Starting in January, he's working 60 plus hours a week. He is pushing it to the limit. Everything that he can possibly give, he's giving to this cause. And then he's hit with this loss. He's hit with this bad news when coronavirus happens. That he's going to have to lay off 90% of his employees. And this was hard for him to do because he had, he had brought them in. He had hired them. He had trained them. He had given them the culture. He had invested his very life into theirs. Then he was going to have to tell them that they couldn't work there anymore. That they couldn't afford to keep them on staff. And then the following week, they told him that they were going to have to let him go as well. And man, this is hard to hear. This is hard for me to hear as he shared it with me in a discipleship group. We're, we're talking and, and man, it just broke my heart because I see this man who's just followed the Lord, uh, moved his family across Texas. His wife is in the third trimester, pregnant, about to have a baby. If any time is the time to provide, this is it. And, and you just say, God, what are you doing? There's some real suffering and some real loss and some real hurt and some real pain and some real wrestling going on here. But that's not what I heard from Stephen. What I heard from Stephen was, 
hey, this happened, and it's, it's going to be really hard, but uh, Amanda and I are trusting the Lord in this. We know that he's going to provide for us. He has provided for us every step of the way up to this point, and he'll continue to do so. And so rather than complaining, Stephen is just proclaiming what God is going to do. He's proclaiming this hope that he has in the gospel, that God has never let him down, that God never will let him down. He's, he's never failed me before. He's not going to fail me now. And, and I, I was talking to Stephen about this earlier this week as, as we were talking about, hey, can I share this story of this awesome thing that I've seen God doing in your life? And he said, you know, you're, you're painting a really good picture. Um, but I was wrestling. I was I was. I was frustrated. I was angry. I was going to God. And, and what I took away from that conversation was that in his wrestling, in his struggle, in his frustration, rather than running from God, he ran to God. And that made all the difference. That gave him the perspective to say, hey, I've wrestled with you here, and I, I've given the anger, I've given the frustration, I've given the, hey, I'm confused, what are you doing here? But then I know we're good, and now I've got this peace that I'm going to go and share the hope that you have. And I, I'd imagine that it was the same way with Paul. Like, God, why, why am I here chained up to smelly mo? You've, you've chained me up to this smelly guard, and, and I don't understand because we've, we've had a good thing going. We've, had a, we've been a great team, God. We've, we've been really pushing back darkness wherever we go and we've seen the kingdom advance. Why would you do this at this time? This doesn't make any sense. And, and then there's this place of trust, this place of rejoicing in the suffering of saying, you know what, I, I don't have the answers. I don't have the whole picture. I've just got this little thread and you know the whole tapestry, but I can trust you. Because I know you, because I know your love, because I know that you are, you are ministering to me, you are caring for me, you're right there with me. He's holding us in his arms as we rejoice in our sufferings. Even when we're in a bad place with our suffering, he is holding us in his arm. He is holding us up. So we can rejoice in our suffering. We must rejoice in our suffering. And we see here that Paul did not complain, but he rejoiced at Jesus Christ being proclaimed. It's absolutely okay to hurt. It's not okay to stay there. Wrestle with God and then let him give you his peace as you go and minister to a lost and dying world. What else can we learn from Paul here? Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and my and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we look at this word deliverance, it's, it's the word soterion in, in the Greek, and that word can mean salvation. That word can mean deliverance. What's cool about this is that it could be that he's talking about the deliverance from prison, the salvation from prison. It could be that he's talking about the deliverance from his earthly body, that he would go and get to be face to face with his maker. Either of those work, and it's okay for it to even be a little bit uh, vague here. You could take either meaning, and it's good, because either way, he was good. He knew that if he left his earthly body, he knew that if he left this prison, he was good because he knew who was making that call. 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This is a crazy confidence that Paul has, that whether by life or by death, Christ will be honored in my body, now as always. This is an always thing for Paul. He has this crazy confidence that I I want that confidence. That for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is like key verse of all key verses, right? This is the key verse of Philippians. You could say this is the key verse of this chapter. This is the key verse of uh, a lot of the New Testament even. This is, this is it. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And what we can do with that is you could take Christ and gain out here and you could say to live is blank and to die is blank. And I want you to think about what is life for you? What is because all of us would say we want this to be true, right? That we want to say to live is Christ, to die is gain. But for some of us, it's to live is a beautiful, luscious lawn that's taller than my neighbors and dominates over them. And to die is uh, weedy, patchy grass. Some of us would say to live is uh, a great career and a great job. And to die is job loss. Some of us would say to live is a happy marriage. And to die is unhappily stuck or worse, divorce. Some of us would say to live is to be a great parent and to die is to be childless. And these are real things. I'm not trying to make light of these real things that we really find our identity in these things. We could say to live is fame and to die is to be forgotten. And maybe we don't say fame like... um, like Paul here, but maybe we say it like our Instagram followers, our Facebook friends, our clout, who's, who's following us? To live is control and to die is surrender. What is, what is that for you? To live is Christ and to die is gain. I want that to be true for each of us. And Paul continues in verse 22, and he says this. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So we saw in the first part... um, 18 through 21, that Paul was ready for any test because of the gospel hope that he possessed. And then here we see that he's ready for any test, but what does he do with that? It kind of fleshes out what it means to live as Christ, to die as gain. He's, he's got this choice of, I could <coughs> go on, I could continue living and try to see you grow and mature, or I could go and depart and be with Christ. And he's almost talking about, about it like he has a choice. He knows it's going to be fruitful labor. He knows it's going to be a lot of work. He knows it's going to be difficult. He's got this pastoral heart here of, man, I would much rather just go and be with Jesus, but I know there's fruitful labor for me right in front of me. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Remain, the word here is meno. It's abide, to abide, to stay with you right here in my flesh is more necessary on your account. And then it's like he has this piece of what is going to happen. He knows what's going to happen. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. 
so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now what's awesome here is that he's got this choice of go and be with Jesus, and he's got this choice of stay in fruitful labor. And he, he's asking God, what is going to give you the most glory? If I come and I'm with you and you take me out of this body where I've experienced constant persecution, beatings, slave, enslavement, bondage, all of these things, or is it going to be for me to stay and experience more of these chains, more of these difficulties, but get to see my labor actually means something, actually change lives, actually change in the people that I love the most. Because I want to do the thing that gives you the most glory, Lord, and so let me do that. And, and so what's cool is that his main concern here is the progress of the gospel. It's the same thing as he was concerned about in those first verses, that there was progress, even though he was bound, the gospel advanced there was progress for the gospel. Here he wants to see the same gospel progress, but it, instead of it being outside and numerical, it's this inside and maturity thing. He wants to see the gospel raise up mature believers who love and follow him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, hey, there's work to do here. So he willingly embraced personal distress, more chains, more suffering, more beatings, more calamity for the sake of gospel progress. Or another way to say that would be Paul would not be ashamed, but he rejoiced that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul would not be ashamed, but he rejoiced that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here's the reality, guys. When you're ready to die because you know your hope is secure, you know your maker, you know that you're secure because you've admitted you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead, and you've surrendered your life, you cho you've chosen to follow him. When you're ready to die, that's when you're ready to really start living. When you're ready to die, that's when you're ready to really start living. And, and I want that for each of us. Um, and And... I can tell you that um, knowing the shepherds in this church, knowing the pastors in this church, knowing the elders in this church, this is, this is our heart, this is our desire, this is our uh, longing more than anything else, that we want to see this growing up in maturity in everyone, especially those who, who we are close to. We want to see this continual growing towards Christ, trusting Christ, rejoicing in suffering. And, and we don't want to minimize any pain, but we want to just come alongside you. We want to love you and we want to help you to experience and know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Everything that we do on this earth, if, is, we want to focus on what is eternal, not on the things that are passing away. There's only one life and it, and it soon will be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. We only have one life only the things that we do for the kingdom of God are going to matter on the other side of this. And so what does it look like to rejoice in suffering? What does it look like to do this, to have this greater hope that we have our eyes on? I think about, about seven years ago. So seven years ago, I'm student teaching and I'm working at Chick-fil-A. And um, so I'm working 8 to 4.30 at uh, Stiles Middle School where, I, where I'm doing this student teaching. And then from five to close, I'm working at Chick-fil-A. And I'm doing that three nights a week, and then I'm working like every other Saturday. And so I am, I am exhausted. I'm dog-tired. 60-plus hours a week, giving everything that I can to this cause. 
And I remember wrestling and saying, God, I feel like you called me here. God, I feel like you brought me to Austin for this reason, to be trained, to be a gospel minister. This doesn't really seem to match up with what I'm thinking this was going to look like. This isn't glamorous. Uh, This isn't fun. This is just a lot of work. And then on top of all this work, I'm also pursuing this beautiful lady in Katie Foster, who's my girlfriend at the time, who I I really want to marry, but I want to bring her into a a place of security where I can actually uh, provide something. I have some meaningful income where I can say, hey, come and be a part of this and actually get the blessing from her parents. But for that to happen, I've got to go through all this pain and all this difficulty, and it, it's hard, God, and I, I don't want to do it anymore. And that's been all of us at some different time where we're in the middle of suffering, and it feels like it's never going to end. And it feels like it's just continual pain and continual sorrow and continual uh, toiling over nothing. And everything that I think I, I can find my hope in is it's like empty. But I had this this future hope. And and there was this this immediate future hope of uh, getting engaged to Katie. Right? That I knew that that I just had to endure one semester of uh, torturous toil of not sleeping, of of giving everything I can for sixty plus hours to this work and this other uh, student teaching training, and then on top of that, pursue Katie, and then on top of that, try to get as much ministry training as I can and, and learn and read and go and meet Chris in all these random places and do all of these things. And I'm like, God, what, what is this? But I, I remember this verse, and, and the Lord just really uh, compelled me to, to memorize this verse of Philippians 1, 21. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Is that true of you, James? To live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm gonna memorize it. I'm gonna repeat it until it's true in me. To live is Christ, to die is gain. It's okay. I'm okay with cleaning floors, even though I've got a nice degree from Texas A&M University. It's okay. I'm okay with seeing people and kind of feeling embarrassed that this is what I'm doing post-grad because I've got this greater hope of this future thing coming. And I know that even if the job doesn't ever show up, even if it never materializes, My hope's not in my career in ministry. It's not in what other people think of me. It's in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And so uh, my challenge for you first would be to memorize this verse, to live as Christ, to die as gain. For to me, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And put that on repeat in your life. And my second challenge to you is this. What is your joy shackled to. We have this tendency to continually put our joy on success, to continually put our joy on comfort, to continually put it in the wrong places. If we shackle our joy to anything but Jesus, we are going to be continually disappointed. And so our joy is unshackled as we shackle it to Jesus, as we fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith who endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. That's you and that's me. He wanted you to enjoy him and to find your joy, your identity, your peace, your everything in him and him alone. And so if you're, if you're not a believer, that starts with ABC. It starts with admitting you're a sinner, believing that Jesus lived the perfect life you could never live, admitting that, uh, believing that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the dead. And if you believe that, if you place your faith in him, if you choose to follow him, if you choose to follow Jesus, 
then you have eternal life. That's where all this joy starts. And he's going to grow us. He's going to mature us in that. And if you're a Christian, I, I want you to just believe this reality that, that our joy really is secure in Jesus. It really is the, every other place that we try to attach our joy to is going to be flimsy and it's going to fail us and it's only going to let us down. So don't attach your joy to something flimsy. Unshackle your joy by trusting in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we need you. Uh, We trust that you are our king. We trust that you are our Lord. We trust that you are everything to us. We need you to be our joy. We need you to be our life. We need you to be our guide. So Lord, we love you. We need you. We trust you. Would you help us to experience this reality in more meaningful ways each day? Uh, Lord, help us to find our joy in you and in you alone. Lord, we love you and we trust you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We're going to spend the next few minutes um, just confessing and uh, preparing our hearts for communion. And so at this time, if you uh, would get the elements ready, the juice and the bread, and um, just pray. Confess what, is, what, what are you tying your joy to. Confess that to God, and then we'll take communion.